Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, it is just such a pleasure to worship with you guys, and uh, just something about gathering together and lifting up the name of our Father that just, it moves me. It moves me, and I hope it does to you as well. Well, friends, it is the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. What a, what a great time for us to celebrate what it means to be an American uh, and the freedoms that we have. Although I do, I was thinking this weekend, I think about this a lot because I'm weird, but you ever think about like England? You know, like England, they, uh, there are like a lot of countries that celebrate independence from them. And I just, I don't know if it like feels bad <laughs> for them or not, but anyway— I don't know, shower thoughts, I guess, for the day. Um, Happy Fourth of July, everybody. It is great to be with you. Um, A couple things real quick before we get into it. First of all, uh, any of you guys at Summerfest last night out on the front lawn? Anybody here? Okay, I hear, yeah, right. It was a blast. We had live music. We had some food, games. It It was a blast. We had a really great time. So if you weren't there, you missed it next year, don't miss it. That's how it works out. So Um, I also just want to say a quick thank you. I just want to express my gratitude to those of you who are so faithful in your giving and your financial generosity in supporting this spiritual family. Uh, It's just, it's overwhelming to me how how generous you are and how you are able to to make what God is doing here possible. So thank you. And I just, I was really encouraged this this weekend. I I met a a young man who told me that uh, this, he's actually just started, he's in high school, he just started his first job and he began tithing to Grace church and which I I feel like is kind of unheard of these days and I asked him why and he said well my parents told me that's what you do Um, but but we had a conversation about it and it was really great because for him this is uh, a way to uh, to put a stake in the ground and say that I'm going to give back to God part of what's given what he's given to me and I just I was so moved by that is so cool so thank you thank you to everybody whether you're a high schooler with your first job or whether you've been giving faithfully to God's church for decades uh, I'm grateful for you that's all I want to share okay So let's get into our message for today. We are in week five of our sermon series, How It Started, How It's Going, looking at the the story of the early church in the book of Acts. Uh, In Acts, we've followed this this amazing transformation of the church, of God's Holy Spirit entering the people and the gospel message, the good news of Jesus starting to spread into our world. Um, And we've started to see some opposition uh, to that message as, as we got into last week. And the whole reason we're doing this series, just as a reminder, is because not only is it good for us to understand the the foundations of our faith and what the early days were like, but it also helps us to ask some questions about how is it going today? And what can we learn about our church and about the the church today because of what was happening in the early church? And that's why we're doing this. So I mentioned opposition. Last week, we looked at the story of the stoning of Stephen. He was the first martyr in the church, the first person to die for his faith. And we're going to pick up right where we left off there, uh, because in that story of Stephen being murdered, there was a man, a young man, maybe late 20s, early 30s, named Saul. Saul, and Luke, the author of Acts, he tells us that Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen, and he approved completely of this murder. And Saul uh, was a big part of the the persecution that kind of broke out against the church, starting with the stoning of Stephen. Um, The Jewish religious leaders began really trying to crack down on this this movement of Christianity, and so these Christians, they started scattering and spreading. And Paul, he was on a mission to hunt them down and bring them into jail and bring them back. And so um, that's how Saul's journey began, at least in the book of Acts. Now, we know that Saul ultimately goes on to have a completely um, transformative experience, and he becomes what we think of as the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul was that young man, Saul, approving of Stephen's killing. And the Apostle Paul, I mean, he's a huge influential uh, apostle in the history of the church. He wrote a big chunk of our New Testament. He planted a ton of churches. Uh, he, he, he was a very, very important part in the church. And so today, what I want us to do is ask the question and look at what, what happened to change the path that he was on. How could Saul become Paul? Now, I want to be clear about something because this might be a little confusing. Saul never actually changed his name. I know that there are some characters in Scripture that do change their names, but Saul never did. He was Saul, but he was also Paul. And Saul, the reason for this is that he was a, uh, a Jewish man, and he had a name in Jewish circles. In Hebrew, it was a very traditional Jewish name, Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. It was a very traditional name. But Paul, Paulos, that was the Greek name that he went by whenever he was in Greek-speaking circles. And because he was the apostle to the Gentiles, the Greek world, he went by Paul when he was there. And so Saul, Paul, same guy, just different names. And um, I want to do something important. I think Luke intentionally highlights the difference of these names when he starts by calling him Saul and then eventually calls him Paul. For this particular message, I'm going to call him Saul the whole time. Because we have, many of us, if you've been in the church, we have preconceived notions about who Paul is, but I want us to remember this young man with Stephen's blood on his hands. I want us to remember where Saul began his journey. I think it's going to help us take into to full uh, effect just how powerful his transformation was. So I'm going to call him Saul, even though in your back of your mind, remember, it's the Apostle Paul. Okay, so let's dive in and see what happened to Saul the Pharisee. We're going to look at Acts 9. Go ahead and grab a Bible. There's probably one in the seat in front of you or online. Feel free to look at whatever Bible you want to look at. We're going to be in the New Living Translation. And let's just start, start reading. Acts 9 verse 1. Uh, this is right after some of the persecution has begun to break out against the Christians. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. So Saul the Pharisee is on a mission. He wants to stamp out this dangerous new movement that he sees as a major threat. Verse 1, I mean, I find this interesting. It literally says that he was breathing out threats and slaughter. That was, that's what it says in the Greek. That's kind of intense. Threats and slaughter. You might wonder, why is he so worked up? Like, why, why does he hate Christians so much? Well, the answer comes down to one word, I think, and the word's zeal, zeal, passionate devotion to a cause. That's what zeal is. 
Saul was a zealous man. He was a, a zealot for God and for righteousness. He was passionate. In fact, this, this is kind of the defining feature for Pharisees as a whole. They're, they're single-mindedly devoted to the cause of Yahweh, of God. Uh, you could say a, a guiding verse for them was Psalm 69.9. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. Right? That's, that's the mentality of a Pharisee, zeal. Saul understood that, that this broken world, that in this broken world, the only way that things are ever going to get back on track was for God's righteousness, for God's law to, to be established on the earth. He understood that because he, he understood the scriptures. He knew that sin had to be abolished. He knew that idolatry and evil needed to be crushed by the power of God. He knew that that was what was going to have to happen. And so imagine from Saul's perspective what, what he sees when he looks at this early Christianity movement, right? He sees a bunch of Jewish people who, who claim that God's promised Messiah, the king that's going to rescue the world, was actually crucified, was murdered and executed by the pagan Romans, and they are okay with that. Or, or these same Jewish people, they, they seem to believe that this, this random guy, this guy from backwoods Galilee, was actually God in the flesh. Like, that's crazy. Or these same people, they, these Jewish ordinary people said that, that God's Holy Spirit was now within them. The presence of Yahweh was within them, within sinners, right? So from Saul's perspective, this is blasphemy, right? It's, it, this is evil, this is wrong, and it needs to be stopped. It needs to be stopped. And you know what? Only a very zealous man would have the You can imagine this, this late 20s, early 30s, you know, young Pharisee. He's zealous and he's ready to make a name for himself. So he's on a mission. And yet, in this moment, on the, on the road to Damascus, Jesus reveals himself to Saul and just over, like, in a second, he shatters his whole worldview. I am the one you are persecuting, is what he says. Now, I find it interesting here that Saul is blinded by the, the glory of God, by the glory of Christ. It reminds me of something that Jesus said to some different Pharisees in, in the Gospel of John. He said, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Symbolically, it's like Jesus is saying, look, look, you've got all this passion, Saul. You've got this zeal, but you can't really see what's going on. You're, you're blind to it. Yes, sin needs to be abolished and, and, and evil needs to be crushed, but it's not going to come about through violence or war. It will come about by the, by the self-sacrifice of God himself. That's what you didn't see. That's what you're blind to. And so Saul, he doesn't see this truth. And so for a few days, he's literally blind. He's literally blind. Okay, let's keep reading. Let's see what happens next. Verse 10. <clears throat> now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. This is a different Judas than the one who betrayed Jesus, by the way. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, said Ananias, 
I've heard, I've, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and he regained his strength. So, okay, think about how momentous this moment was. I mean, momentous for the church as a whole, but momentous for Paul. This is, or for Saul. Saul, who's just days before this, he's, he's breathing out threats and slaughter, right, against the church, and now he's baptized in Jesus' name. He's declaring to all the world, yes, I have surrendered my life to Jesus. Now, I mean, this may not seem as crazy to us unless you really think about what this means. We had baptisms here last week, right? We, we opened up the tank. We had people getting, get, showing their, their life transformation before our eyes. It was powerful. It was amazing. So imagine if one of the people who got baptized three days before had been on their way to Grace Church to like kill us or put us in jail or something like that, and now they're being baptized. You, you get the sense of just how weighty this would have been, would have been and how people would have probably been like, Uh, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Well, that's what was happening here. This was a momentous moment in Damascus. Now, what I find interesting about all this is that uh, Saul's conversion and his call to ministry, to to purpose for God, they, they go hand in hand. Look at verse 15. Saul is my, God is saying, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. What I find so cool about this is that God could, could have just stopped a dangerous Pharisee in his tracks, but that's not what he did. He, he wasn't just trying to stop some zealous guy from doing bad things. No, he repurposes Saul's zeal for the church. Saul never stopped being passionate. He never stopped being zealous for God's purposes in the world. The moment he believed in Jesus, that didn't change. No, his passion was redirected. From this point on, Saul fought for the truth of Christ. He suffered in Jesus' name to make sure that the gospel took root. He, he was relentless in planting churches no matter what kind of opposition he faced. In some ways, you could argue that it was thanks to Saul's passion that, that you and I are a part of Grace Church at all because he was the one who fought to make sure that the Gentiles were brought into the family of God. His zeal could be the reason why you and I are followers of Jesus at all. The zealous Pharisee had become zealous for Christ. Look, look at what he does next. Let's look at how this zeal transforms him. Uh, verse, uh, the rest of verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately, immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. 
After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for the day, watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Okay, talk about a change of fortunes for this man, for Saul. This is crazy. Saul encounters Jesus, and within days, he's, he's preaching, he's proving to everybody that Jesus is the Messiah. That's a transformation. Now, I want to I clear something up, because this is something that maybe you're wondering, how, in, in just such a short period of time, could he be so knowledgeable about Jesus? Like, how could he be uh, preaching like this? Wouldn't he need some training first, or, or maybe to sit down with the apostles and, and learn from them about Jesus and all the stuff, like, in the truth? Like, how is he able to do this so quickly? Does he need to, to spend some more time training? Well, the answer is no, no. And here's why. Because in his zeal, remember, uh, Saul understood the Hebrew scriptures. He understood uh, what God was up to in the world. He understood the promises of God. He, he knew the Psalms. He, he remembered the prophets. He understood the storyline of God's faithfulness and redemption in the world. Now, he was a little bit off on exactly how it would be applied in his day. But once he understood that Jesus was the Messiah, it was like, it was like the final puzzle piece locked into place and the entire story made sense to him. Everything locked together, creation and the fall of man and the exodus and the law and the prophets and the exile, all of it led to Christ. And so Saul was able to preach completely confidently once he understood that final puzzle piece of Jesus. In a way, you could say that, that Saul didn't even experience a conversion at all. He didn't change religions here. He, he had an awakening. You could call it Saul's awakening on the road to Damascus, an awakening of the truth of Jesus as the final piece in God's redemptive mission. And now, not only did Saul understand all of this, and he was obviously a very good orator, he was very good at arguing, but now he had the Holy Spirit within him, empowering him, and so, of course, his message is unstoppable. His message of a self-sacrificing God, nobody was going to stand against that, even though everybody, including the other believers there, were baffled that it was Saul who was the one doing this preaching. The zealous Pharisee had become zealous for Christ. It's amazing. And of course, as, as you saw kind of at the end of that passage, before long, Saul finds himself on the other side of the persecution that, that, was, that he was once a part of perpetrating. I mean, that's just what happens. It happened to Jesus, it happened to Stephen, and now it's happening to Saul. The persecution against the church. When, when God's healing hand is at work in this broken world, the broken world pushes back. It fights back. And now people want to kill Saul. The same one who was breathing out threats and slaughter is now at risk of threats and slaughter. But I, and we don't know, it doesn't say here, but I don't think Saul was worried about this one bit. I don't think he was concerned because what are death threats to someone who's finally come alive, right? What, what's the fear of violence to someone who's zealous for the love of God? Saul had experienced Yahweh's grace he had experienced his grace. He was called into a greater purpose now. And his life was never going to be the same. Ever. So, okay, that in a nutshell, that's the story of Saul's conversion or his awakening. 
right? That's the story of, of how he changed to become the man that we think of as the Apostle Paul. It's a momentous scene in his life, and it's a momentous scene in the book of Acts. Now, one thing that I find interesting is that Luke, the author of Acts, he has the same shift in mind here because up to this point in the, in the book of Acts, Saul, or he, he's been talking mostly, Luke's been talking mostly about Peter and the other disciples and how they were doing things in the church. But starting around chapter 13, the entire story shifts to follow the journeys of Paul as Paul and Saul is going out and, and planting churches. He wants us to pay attention to the fact that this completely transformed zealous Pharisee is now uh, taking the gospel to the Gentiles because that's one of Luke's focuses for the book. So it's, it's, a, it's a, obviously a momentous, transformative uh, turning point in the story. And I like that it happens to be the exact middle week of this sermon series as well. From this point on, we're going to be following the journey of Saul. Okay, that's cool. I love that story. It's powerful. But here's what I want us to do for the rest of the time that we have together. I want us to ask some questions about what do we do with this story? I mean, it's great history. It's good for us to understand. But what does this story say to us today? What does it say about the character of God? What does it say about our character? I want to take some time and, and think about this. So I've been chewing on this. I've been wrestling on this and, and praying about this for a while. I've got two big takeaways for you that I think come, come out of this, this story for us today. Uh, the first one is a bit of a challenge. It's going to be, I'm, I've got to just bring a little bit of a challenge for us to consider and pray about. And the second one is more of an encouragement, something to remind us about who we are in God's eyes, okay? So let's start with the challenge. Let's talk about this first big takeaway. It has to do with Saul's mentality before he was saved and what we can learn about this, uh, from this. So Saul was zealous, as I've, as I've said. He was passionate in what he believed. He was not fighting against God. As far as he understood, he was fighting for God. He was fighting for God's purposes. Saul thought, and this whole road to Damascus on his way before he met Jesus, he thought that he was squarely within God's heart for the world, didn't he? He thought that, that, that he, was, he was absolutely on God's side. So much so that, that he thought that by hurting these other people, he was actually doing what God wanted. He thought he was doing good things for God. It was justified for him to throw Christians, innocent Christians, into jail. Of course, as he later understood, obviously, he was really working against God's intentions. He was standing in his way. So his mentality was, was wrong. The reason I bring this up is because it is very, very easy for us, you and for me, to, to believe that everything that we understand about the world must be correct. That, that, that everyone who disagrees with our beliefs must be our enemy and worthy of, of being push, put down, right? This is human nature, of course, human nature to assume that our worldview is the correct one, that our beliefs are the right ones, but it's made way worse by the world that we are living in today. We've got things like social media and search engine algorithms and 24-hour news that are all conspiring to suck us each into an echo chamber, an echo chamber where all we hear are people who believe just like we believe. They amplify our perspectives and they demonize all the others. We're, we're completely sucked into that. We are all susceptible to this. Don't think that you're not. We all are. And, and frankly, it boils down to this. Outrage sells and nuance doesn't. There are very powerful, very wealthy organizations and companies and, and CEOs and whatever that are out to get you as angry as possible because they make money when you are, okay? 
That's, that's just how our world works right now, and it's really, really tricky to acknowledge that and to pay attention to that because we are all in the middle of it, and it just makes sense that our world must be the way that it's portrayed to us. So we are, are, we are being turned into zealots by forces beyond our control, and every day that goes by, we are convinced more and more of the righteousness of our cause, aren't we? That's how it works. And just like Saul, some of us are actually hurting other people, and we think it's justified because our cause is righteous. Well, this is a problem. It's a problem mostly because we, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be people of grace, We are called to be people of grace just like our Father. We are called to be quick to forgive, to to demonstrate the self-giving love of Jesus in our lives. We are called to be open-palmed in our posture towards our neighbor. And that is really hard to do when you got clenched fists all the time. So this is a problem. Here's what I would like to challenge us to do, to think about. I would like to ask us, like Saul to learn how to hold our beliefs with humility. To not just assume that everything we believe is automatically in line with God's heart for the world, because it may not be. To be aware that we may be blind to some aspect of God's truth in one way or another. I'm just asking us to hold our beliefs with humility. I mean, listen to how Saul reflected on his earlier mentality later in his life. In Philippians, he says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Are any of our beliefs worthless? Do we have the humility to even ask? Now look, I'm not talking about belief in Jesus when I talk about this, right? No, Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the foundation of everything. I'm not talking about questioning that, but culture war issues and political ideologies and morality. I'm gonna ask you, are you basing your belief system on the God-breathed words of scripture or is it based more on just how often some idea pops up on your phone? Have you wrestled your convictions to the ground yet? Or are you just angry because someone else told you you're supposed to be angry? This is hard work, guys. I'm I'm not going to lie. It is hard work to hold you, to learn how to unclench your fists. I'm constantly working on this and asking myself and asking God, am I right about this thing that I believe? Is this something that's in line with your heart? Because if it's not, I want to know. Are we asking ourselves that question and are we open to the possibility that our entire worldview may not exactly be perfect? Will we hold our beliefs with humility? Look, grow in your faith. Grow in your faith. Deepen your knowledge. Ask the hard questions. Be passionate. Be zealous for Jesus like Saul, but do it with open palms, with a humble heart. Because if you are not growing in your love for others right now, if you're, if you're not growing in mercy and grace for those who don't deserve it the way that Jesus taught us, if your life today does not look more like Jesus in your compassion and your love than it did five years ago, then it is entirely possible that you are missing some part of God's heart for the world. And guys, this matters 
Because right now, in our, as I've talked about before, in our culture, in our time, there is a credibility gap that exists for people who don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus, but they're not gonna know Jesus because they don't want anything to do with the Christians who misrepresent him. So guys, can we have humility in holding our beliefs so that we can close that credibility gap and reintroduce Jesus to our neighbors? This week, this is my challenge. Will you take some time to pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to point out any errors in your heart, to correct you, to rebuke you, to change where you might be being led astray? Perhaps, would you ask God to allow you to experience an awakening of your own, just like Saul? It may not happen in a flash of light, guys, but it could very well, just like Saul, change the path that you are on and lead to others getting to know the Savior that we follow. So that's the challenge. And again, I, I'm sorry if it feels like I'm, I'm poking you a little bit. I want us to be challenged by this story. But I also want us to be encouraged. And there is a lot to be encouraged about in this story. This whole second takeaway really goes back to what I was talking about last week. I, I, I talked about, you know, with the stoning of Stephen, that Saul was there and that he agreed completely with the stoning of Stephen, right? He had the, Stephen's blood on his hands, metaphorically. That's what Luke wants us to pay attention to. Well, let's think about Saul from the standpoint of the narrative here. At this point in the story, before he meets Jesus, Saul was not just a man who didn't, just didn't believe in Jesus. That wasn't it, no. He was actively hunting down Christians to throw them in jail. Threats and slaughter, that's what he was breathing out, right? So in the story, Saul is clearly a bad guy. He's a villain, that's, that's obvious. And yet, and yet, this is the man that God calls to be his apostle to the Gentiles. This is the man that the Spirit inspired to write a huge chunk of our New Testament. This is the man that Jesus it, wanted to follow him through suffering and even death for his sake. My takeaway from all of this is that God's grace goes way beyond just forgiving broken people. He doesn't just say to us, well, I won't count your sins against you. No, he didn't just say to Saul, okay, you're fine. No, he called Saul into a greater purpose and he does the same thing with us. No matter what we've done, uh, he partners with us in our mission, in his mission to heal the world. No matter what sins we've committed, sometimes he even takes, and this is, blows my mind, he takes our past brokenness and he reshapes it to be able to use it as a part of our purpose, of our mission to heal this world. Think about Saul. Saul was zealous, and he was zealous in persecuting Christians. God turned that zeal right around, and he turned it into passion, which led Saul to persevere for Jesus beyond the limits of any ordinary person. Torture and, and prison and shipwrecks. Guys, the grace of God, the grace of God, it includes forgiveness, of course, but it also includes purpose, and Saul's journey is a perfect example of it. Here's what I want you to understand with this. Here's what I want you to understand. I know that some of you wrestle with your past mistakes or, or, you, or you, you, you are burdened with shame because of who you are or, or what you struggle with, right? I know you are. And I know that some of you have a voice in your head that is just relentless. You're worthless. You're a loser. You're, you're broken. You, no one loves you, right? You hear this voice and it's just on repeat in your head. I want you to understand that when God looks at you, he doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, eh, oh, fine, I'll let them in. No, 
When he looks at you, he looks at you with delight. He's wild about you. He wants you to join him in his mission. He wants to work shoulder to shoulder with you to heal this world. He's got something in mind just for you to do. The grace of God, it includes forgiveness, but it also includes purpose, your purpose. Do you believe that? Because the story of Saul's awakening is proof that it's true. Yeah. Listen to this. Listen. Listen to how Saul, I mean, Saul reflects back on this season in his life. This was actually, he said, he wrote this towards the end of his life. He said this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and he appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme his name, the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and the love that comes from Christ Jesus. Friends, do you believe that God wants to fill you with faith and love? Will you let God silence that voice of shame in your head? Will you shut off that spigot of shame? God's grace, guys, is more than enough for you. His grace is more than enough for you and it goes way beyond just forgiving your sins. It goes all the way into the reason why you were born. God doesn't just forgive you. He loves you. He loves you and he wants you to join him on his mission. So that's my, my, my second takeaway from this. That's the encouragement. If you struggle with your own value and you wonder how God sees you, I hope you will take some time to think about the, the Apostle Paul, to think about Saul and the journey that he went on. I want you to ask yourself this week and and to to pray, to to listen to the voice of the Spirit to see if you really believe that God not only loves you enough to save you from your brokenness, but loves you enough to call you into your destiny, the reason why you are here. I'll say it again. God's grace is more than enough for you. That's why I love this story. Just like Saul, just like Saul, By surrendering our lives to Jesus, we can finally overcome our shame. Just like Saul, we can learn to hold our beliefs with humility. Just like Saul, we can turn away from our sin. And just like Saul, we can become the people that God designed us to be. Let's pray. Father, I'm overwhelmed when I think about the grace that you have for us. I know we, we may not think that we're as bad as Saul. You know, we weren't parties in, in the murder of a, of a saint, but at the same time, God, we've all broken. We're all, we've all messed up. We've all been broken. We've all we've done things and said things and thought things which are so far from your intentions for this world. And yet you have this relentless grace for us, this love for us that we don't deserve. Father, my prayer this week is that each one of us would listen to the voice of your spirit and come to a realization that we are also loved by you and in your grace. I pray that you'll, you'll break us down a little bit and let us have some humility, but at the same time, for those of us who feel shame and guilt and, and worry about our past, I pray, Father, that you will release us from that and begin walking us down that road of purpose that I know you have for us. Father, we are listening for your Holy Spirit. Would you speak? 
And would you transform us the way you transformed Saul? We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.